What's up, guys? Today is January 29th, 2022. I am Heather. This is another episode of Strike Boat, my novel, which I am podcasting for free as an audiobook on Substack. Today, we are going to read uh, part two of chapter 14, Reconfiguration, which takes place um, on an overpass which has been such a significant part of this week for me. I don't know if I will ever forget sitting down on a guardrail on a overpass, watching the convoy go by and crying tears of joy. That was a moment that I will never forget. Um, Yeah, so with regards to uh, me and this podcast, I am, you know, humbled with gratitude that I firstly wrote this book, and secondly, that um, I thought to podcast it out for free during this time. When I started this podcast, I had no idea that the Freedom Convoy would be coming through my town. Um, And even if nobody ever listens to these recordings very much, I'm one Canadian who is proud to be contributing to this movement, even in some small way, by reading this book out for free at this moment. So if you're with me and you've stuck with me this far, thank you. And uh, let's get started on part two of chapter 14, Reconfiguring. Lodi watched them go, thinking, damn, she was beautiful. That was the problem. (laughs) And tough, too. Taking a gash like that without complaining, barely even noticing, she was strong and he liked that. He felt eyes on him, turned to find Wanda staring at him, smiling. A blush rose to his face. Wanda laughed. She stood, brushed off the seat of her pink track pants and came to sit next to him. That was some fancy moves you pulled back there, hauling Jenna to safety. I don't know what we would have done if she'd been killed. I have a feeling we're going to need her. Lodi dropped his head and scrubbed a hand along his jaw. This thing is getting pretty complicated, huh? Son, this thing is going to blow sky high before much longer. That's what I think. She looked out through the ruin window. There used to be bricks in that wall. Now there's nothing but that beautiful sun coming in. It seems so strange that the sun would shine like normal when something so monstrous is going on. She paused, and he saw that she had tears in her eyes. Hey, hey now, don't cry, doll. What is it? She took a moment before responding. It's just that if this area collapses, why, what a terrible thing that'll be. You know that old expression, the one about cutting off your nose to spite your face? If the Great Lakes region falls because of something humans did, well, that's like cutting off God's nose, isn't it? It's cutting the nose off the face God gave us, and heaven help us if that happens. If I was him, I'd turn my back on us, on the whole sorry lot of us. And why not? We sure turned our backs on him. Lodi slung an arm around her shoulders. Don't give up just yet. The good guys still got a couple cards we can play, and the good guys always win in the end. We're the good guys, aren't we, Wanda? Jay and Jenna and Mary and the kids and Vic and Deb and you and I? 
When the time comes, God will help us, don't you think? Wanda felt the tears sting her eyes. I sure hope so. They sat that way for a little while as Lodi left his arm around her shoulders and let her lean on him. Eventually, Jenna came back into the room with Mary. They went to sit with Jay at the computer desk. Lodi saw that Jenna had a bandage over the wound in her forehead. She looked over at him and caught him staring at her. She touched her fingers to the gauze and smiled at him a little shyly. Suddenly a whoop sounded from across the room. Lodi looked over in time to see Carrie slap Tamara a high five. They were looking at something on his smartphone together, grinning. What's the matter with you fools, Lodi asked, but he couldn't help grinning back. Oh, nothing, you know, just that everyone's watching our feed right now. Two million views so far, and we're in it. The heli, the shooting, the window blasting apart, Jenna on the floor and you scooping her up. Me with my arm around Tamara, shielding her from the bullets with my own body. Carrie broke off talking and made his face look fierce, pumping his fist and beating it on his chest. I look tough as nails in that footage, man. We're going to be YouTube famous. Lodi I smiled at him. Carrie was a lanky teen, but he was tall. Lodi guessed that Carrie might have a good couple inches on him, but where Lodi was muscular, Carrie was thin. Still, Carrie had some width. Given time and training, he would be a solid man one day. You did pretty good, Lodi said. I saw. Carrie smiled. Thanks. Oh boy, here we go, Jay said from the desk, his fingers flying over the keyboard. Hey guys, it looks like we might be getting some company, he said. Check it out. Plenty of chatter in the comment section. That scene we just broadcasted. People are pissed. Plenty of groups are sharing it on their page. I don't know more. Black Lives Matter, Earthwatch, Blockadia, that Occupy forum that Carrie mentioned. People are starting to react to the video. Everyone's pissed about the fracking damage. And I'm guessing seeing that helicopter shoot at us is triggering a strong reaction. The flag logo was visible for a second in the clip. The Freedom, Liberty, Altruism, Generosity group ain't looking so charitable now. Names are being named. The billionaires who run that thing are being shared. And there are protests organizing in Ottawa, outside Parliament, and in some in other major cities. He broke off, looked at Jenna. It sounds like some of them are coming down here, too. Jenna shook her head. No, 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 that's not right. They can't do that. They've got to leave. They've got to get outside of the evac zone. It isn't safe. Lodi put a hand on her arm. Some will go. But for the majority, they're not going to do that without some kind of acknowledgement from the government. They're not going to shut down their businesses and leave their homes behind on our say-so. They're not going to evacuate, not based on a YouTube video. The government needs to step up to make the announcement. That's the only way that the evacuation process will happen. Jenna frowned. Well, then I guess we're going to have to put some pressure on the government. She bit her thumbnail. But how? Carrie pulled his phone out. I'll inbox the Occupy Forums organizers. I'm a regular contributor on that site. They know me. Let me see if I can get in touch with them. Then we'll have a direct link to at least one of the protest groups. Maybe they can share our messaging with the others. 
Jenna was nodding. Good idea. It's a start. The station's helicopter landed in a cut wheat field just beyond where Jamie and Morty were standing. They hurried over toward it, clutching their gear in the roar and wind of the rotors. Ducking, they made it to the door and climbed inside. There was a brief discussion with the pilot. Jamie instructed him to lift up and hover at treetop level so that Morty could film the action down below. Once they were set up, Jamie started narrating a voiceover for the newsroom. The stranded Fallon workers are truly making progress clearing this obstruction. They've organized a transport truck turned sideways to block oncoming traffic to protect people from the risk that lies in the roadway of the widening sinkhole. Let's hover lower so that we can get some footage. She guided the pilot to a place where Morty could take in a full overhead shot of the sinkhole, which had by now swallowed all of the westbound lanes. Only a thin fragment of pavement, not much more than a strip, remained on the eastbound side. From above, it was possible to see three different sections of pavement that had slid partway down the sides of the sinkhole. They stood out in sharp contrast against the sandy earth, almost like gray asphalt stepping stones, two of them still with part of the white hyphen of the center line visible on them. Morty zoomed in on the fragments, and the effect was striking. It's like a roadmap straight to hell, Jamie thought, and forced an upbeat tone into her voice for her next sentence. It's hard to tell how deep that hole goes now, but it's definitely gotten wider since we've been here. There's no way to get through. I don't think you'd be able to get a vehicle around that hole on what's left of the pavement, but I know you'd be crazy to try. As she was talking, Morty panned the camera around the edges of the hole, showing the viewers that Jamie was right. There was no safe passage through the underpass. The sinkhole was too close to the concrete embankments that held up the bridge on either side. There was no room to get a vehicle through between the concrete walls of the overpass and the sharp drop off of the sinkhole in the median that by now had swallowed all of the pavement out to the shoulder. As you can see, the traffic jam stretches backwards for miles. Most of it is westbound and we have to wonder since the most direct route out of what the video is calling the evac zone is westbound down the 402 to Sarnia and out into Michigan and beyond. Is that why all these people are heading that way? At any rate, the stranded workers are trying to clear a path around the sinkhole and get traffic moving again to safety. They've managed to free up a path from the east side of the overpass and up the off-ramp but now they've got to move the concrete barriers that make up the median on the top of the overpass to reconfigure the traffic flow to allow cars to get onto the on-ramp on the other side. If they make this happen and actually do get things moving again so that people can get to safety, this may just be one of the most heroic things that we'll see today. Back over to you in the newsroom, Heather. Below the helicopter, Justin had finished separating the truck from the trailer. He left the trailer parked sideways to block people from driving forward into the sinkhole. He nudged the truck forward and shifted into park. Leaving it running, he rummaged in his cab and emerged with a can of black spray paint. Hopping down, he went to the trailer, shaking the can. Deb watched. Justin walked to the far end of the trailer, shook the can a couple of more times, then popped off the lid. He reached up as high as he could, 
and sprayed a large D on the white of the trailer. Deb cocked her head and went to stand beside him. What are you doing? Justin looked at her calmly. His hair fluffed upwards a bit in the downwash from the rotor blades high above. I'm spray painting the words danger ahead, go this way, with an arrow to let people know not to drive that way towards yonder sinkhole. He went back to what he was doing and began on the A, calmly working away with the thumping of the rotor blades audible above him. Deb stammered, but your boss and the company you work for, I mean, you don't own that trailer, right? It's somebody else's, and what you're doing is technically vandalizing it. Justin shrugged. Don't care. I'm 25 years old. I've got no prospects left in this world. I got no job security, no home except what I can rent. I'll never be able to afford a mortgage or a place of my own, not with these prices. What do I care if they charge me with vandalism or fire me? I'm a transient worker. I got no benefits, no assets, no reason to feel particularly loyal to this firm. And to be honest, they don't treat me all that good. This job's no more important to me than the next one, and the next one after that, and the one after that. What I care about is doing the right thing. And right here, in this moment, that means putting up a sign so that people who come this way after I'm gone know that there's danger up ahead because I don't plan on sticking around long enough to tell them. Once we get the way cleared, I'm getting back in the cab of that truck right there, and I'm going to go get my kid, and I'm getting the hell out of the evac zone, because that there sinkhole is what happens when crooked people care more about money than they do about doing the right thing. So no, I don't care that I'm vandalizing someone else's property. I care about living, getting my kid out of danger, and helping the ones what come after. I care about doing the right thing. He finished what he was doing and stood back, taking it in from a few steps away to survey his work. The words were scrawled very neatly and legibly along the expanse of the trailer, the arrow he had drawn clearly indicating the direction that people should go to avoid the danger. Justin looked at her. Now, Let's say we get my truck moving and see if we can get through that gap all right. Deb grinned. She hopped up into the cab beside Justin, and a gaggle of workers clambered onto the rig at the back. A few more piled into the cab, and some perched on the step bars and hung on to the outside. Justin shifted the truck into gear, and it started to roll. It moved forward slowly, leaving the trailer behind as it rolled down through a shallow dip and onto the off-ramp entrance. When the tires bit into the gravel on the shoulder, past the place where the barricades had been moved, a cheer went up from the crowd. The workers and the drivers from the backlog traffic had been sitting deadlocked in the sun for quite some time, and it looked like progress was starting to be made. Justin rolled along the shoulder of the off-ramp, angling his vehicle through the gap. It was a tight squeeze. There was a solid wall of parts trucks on his left, on the actual pavement, and the newly pushed back concrete barriers on his right, but he made it through. When he reached the place where the off-ramp joined up with Hickory Road proper, just beyond the place where the road started to elevate to go over the overpass, Deb saw him pause and survey the scene, debating what to do. 
they needed to get two more barriers moved. That was the first thing, but that was no problem. That was already being taken care of, in fact. She heard Artie Diesbrecht's whistle rounding up a crew of workers, and they waited a few minutes for the barriers in that section to be moved. Once the way was clear, they needed a path to get across four lanes of backed-up parts truck traffic, still blocked at the entrance to the Fallon plant service lane. There was a group of truck drivers standing around, not too far off. I'll go talk to them, Deb said. See if I can get them to wiggle the trucks enough either way to let us get through. She hopped down from the cab of Justin's truck and walked up to the group of drivers standing in a huddle by the off-ramp. Hi, I'm Deb Hathaway. She stuck out her hand. Bert Walker, ma'am. Pleased to meet you. We've been watching, and I reckon I know what you're trying to do, but go ahead and explain the plan. Right. Well, we're trying to clear a path around the overpass and the sinkhole so that people can get through and we can all get home to our families. All of us workers from the plant, we're stranded. Us drivers are too, said Abdul Chams. He pointed back toward the loading docks. My truck's back there, stuck with the tire conveyance mechanism still inside it. Bastards wouldn't even give me a staff person to pull the conveyance out of my truck so I can go home. Bert put a hand on his back and gave it a brisk rub. My friend here has a wife at home that's due to go into labor. He's a little upset. I don't blame him. Deb gave him a smile that she hoped was encouraging. We're going to try to get you guys moving. This here's the plan. We need this handful of trucks here to work together. Imagine a line across the road, right in front of where my new friend Justin has the nose of his truck parked. She pointed to Justin waiting on the shoulder, parked perpendicular to the flow of traffic. Then she placed her hands together, prayer style, in front of her chest before parting them, backing away from each other. If we can get these trucks right here to wiggle backwards wide enough for Justin to get through, then what we can do is get traffic moving through the median and down that westbound off-ramp there. That way, people can get around the sinkhole and move along the Porochu to Sarnia and outside the evac zone. Abdul looked at her. Excuse me, miss. You think that thing is real, that slideshow? You think this land is going to sink? Deb smiled sadly. I do. She said it quietly, as gently as she could. I know that's not what you wanted to hear. Not with a baby on the way, but I do. I think you need to get home to her and pack her up and get her out of there. Go somewhere safe, somewhere away from those things. She pointed at the sinkhole. That's not the only one around here. I saw another one on the way here, in the middle of a cornfield. Looked like someone from Bugs Bunny sawed a hole in the stage and the star of the show dropped right through the floor. It was big, at least the size of a house, probably several. I haven't never seen nothing like that around here before this morning. And now there's at least two. So yeah, I do. The land is going soft. That's what's happening. Abdul met her eyes, then nodded. All right, we better get these transports moving then. Deb broke into a grin. Thanks, guys. I'll leave you to it. There were two additional barriers on the opposite side that would need to be moved, but Artie Diesbrecht's was on top of that. Deb smiled, watching as Artie marshaled up another monumental effort from the workers and got it done. She went back to the rig and climbed back in beside Justin. There was a moment's huddle while the truck drivers discussed amongst themselves. 
and then they dispersed. Each climbed back into their rig. Abdul got in with Bert, and then one by one, they started up. The process only took a few minutes. Slowly, the drivers wiggled their rigs back and forth and gave what room they could until eventually the pathway was just barely wide enough for Justin to nose the transport truck, minus its trailer, through. Bert cranked down his window. That about cover it? Sure does, Justin called back to him as he shifted into drive. He started forward. Thanks to Artie and his crew of workers, there was room to get through, but just barely. Justin drove across the four-lane highway and then yelled out to his passengers to hang on. Deb could see there was a bit of a drop ahead of them. Slowly, the transport eased forward. It rolled off the pavement on the far side of Hickory Road and bounced down a shallow grass embankment. There was a wire fence at the bottom, but the truck broke through that easily. Ahead, about 50 feet, was the on-ramp, protected by two more concrete barriers, the last thing standing in the way of the path to freedom. Beyond those two barriers, the westbound lanes of the 402 yawned emptily away, stretching off towards the safety of the land outside the evac zone. Justin edged his rig forward and traversed the grass strip, the truck bouncing and swaying with its handful of Fallon workers clinging to the outside of it. Above them, the helicopter circled around to give Morty a better shot. They rolled up the short grass strip that led up to the on-ramp. The crew from the rig jumped down, Justin and Deb included, and together they started trying to push the first of the two concrete barriers that were blocking the path out of the way. They were trying to push the things outward so that they would open like a gate towards the truck. Squatting and pushing, they were making scant progress. Reinforcements came running from the other side of the in interchange. Vic was amongst them. There was plenty of muscle by then. The workers swung the concrete sections, opening them outwards so, so that the two concrete barrier sections parted like saloon doors in front of Justin's truck. They were free. The way forward stood open, beckoning like a golden path to freedom, and Justin shifted his rig back into drive. He bounced up the grass shoulder and through the two concrete barriers, and a great whoop went up when his tires made it onto the pavement of the on-ramp. Deb heard the toot of a horn from behind. She, she turned to see that the first of the vehicles organized by Kimmy's team had found their way through the path that Justin had carved and were nosing up behind the rig, ready to make it to freedom. The driver of the SUV behind her rolled down his window and gave them some frantic thumbs up, and Deb realized it was time to part ways with Justin. They had done it. Thank you for everything, she said. God bless you, ma'am, Justin responded and flashed her a quick peace sign. Deb hopped down. She took a look at the rig, but the rest of the workers had already disembarked. You're clear, she called through the open window. Justin waved one last time. Then he rolled down the on-ramp and out onto the now empty 402 with an SUV and a line of other vehicles straggled along behind him slowly as the first of the traffic got moving. From the helicopter, Morty captured the footage from the far side of the overpass and it made quite the image with the trailer marked danger ahead, go this way, and an arrow pointing in the direction that the stranded cars and trucks were starting to ease their way along.
All right, guys, that is it for today. I will be back tomorrow with Chapter 15, Cochrane. But I, again, just want to say, wherever you are in this world, if you uh, haven't seen the Freedom Rally in Canada, maybe take a look at other than mainstream media sources and look at the recordings that are coming from people on the ground, just everyday average Canadians who are coming together and celebrating in joy and peace. It is truly remarkable to see, and I'm so, so proud to be Canadian today. Wherever you are, stay free. God bless.